0: because there truly is hope, in spite of what depression tells you. Hi, this is Terry. Anita is still on her well-earned vacation, so you get me solo again today. As we hope you know, Giving Voice to Depression posts daily across social media. We encourage you to follow us, especially if you're on Facebook, where more than 10,000 people with depression have formed an engaged and supportive community. Just look for Giving Voice to Depression there. In one of our recent posts, we wrote, The story you share about your mental health challenge may be the key that unlocks someone else's prison. The more we talk and the more we listen, the more we understand and will be understood. The National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI's national site, describes the value of shared stories this way. You have an authentic voice. You can make a difference for yourself and others by sharing your experiences and perspective. There are all sorts of things that you know that other people want to know. You are not alone. Let them know they're not alone either. That sharing needs to be done in safe ways, and that will look different for different people at different times. It might be calling an anonymous warm line or crisis line, having a private conversation with a trusted friend, family member, therapist or doctor. You might choose to share in a group setting, like therapy or 12-step meeting. Or if you're like today's guest, Sarah, you might talk about your depression and, trigger warning here, your suicidal ideations on a podcast, in a very direct, shame-free, almost casual way. Here now is Sarah in one of our very first and shortest interviews, giving her voice to depression. There are those of us who quietly and reluctantly discuss our mental health. And then there's Sarah.
1: Uh, well, I just feel like I need to do my part, you know? It's just like no bullshit allowed anymore. Just be loud and proud about who I am.
0: Loud and proud about being a 28-year-old Midwestern-raised Brooklyn actress, teaching artist, and personal trainer who knows what simple things help her feel good.
1: I... Love eating cookie dough and watching pug videos. I adore pugs. I think that they are the funniest creatures. That, pugs and otters. That, that brings me a lot of joy.
0: And while it's really important for everyone to know and access the little things that bring them joy, when you're really in it, even our favorite pleasures can lose their shine and impact. Sarah describes how depression can change not just those, but our everyday thought patterns as well.
1: I experience it sometimes situationally and sometimes absolutely just completely out of nowhere, sprouting from my own brain. Um, it can it can be triggered by uh, circumstances or um, something not going well in my my professional career. But instead of it going from I feel disappointed. I'm frustrated, I'm I'm upset, but I know that there's another day or there might be another opportunity, it goes straight into, I'm worthless, what's the point? I, like, if I don't get this thing, I'll never get everything I need, which means I'll be a failure, which means I should just go die.
0: Sarah says that casually, but anyone who's been weighed down and beaten down by the thoughts that there's no point to our lives knows how debilitating and dangerous they can be.
1: Yeah, well, it used to be drink, and then it's like, well, I can't drink, so I might as well die.
0: Sarah says the reason she can laugh while she talks about what she calls her staircase to the bottom of the pit of despair is because she's in a support group, Alcoholics Anonymous, where everyone is vulnerable, so there's less risk and disclosure. But she's very aware of the stigma outside of that safety.
1: You know we come from a puritanical basis right so america is based on these sort of british stiff upper lip you just forge ahead there are no feelings there is no nuance there is no vulnerability and that's kind of what we founded our nation on and i also believe that when we live in a patriarchy where no one is allowed to have feelings especially men that mental illness which is basically vulnerability and emotions on level 10 it's not, a, it's not a sexy thing. It's not a productive thing. So I think that there's this idea of, well, well, we won't look at it, and then it'll just go away.
0: But of course it doesn't go away, because depression isn't a choice. But since both ignorance and stigma are, we talked about the benefits of those going away.
1: To take the stigma away would provide so many more opportunities to ask for help. So I have a leaky bathroom faucet. And I know if I call my super, my super will come and fix it. And that's part of his job, come and fix things in our apartment. And there are so many people out there whose job it is to help people who struggle with mental illness. The problem is I have no shame in saying I have a leaky faucet. And I would have more shame if I were like, I think I need to go on medication because I think I'm super depressed and I think I can't live like this anymore. Um, and that certainly was my experience when I first started on this journey.
0: Sarah's journey, like many of ours, has its ups.
1: When I'm feeling good, I think this is how it's going to be for the rest of my life.
0: And its downs.
1: When I'm feeling awful, a part of me is like, this is how it'll be for the rest of your life. And so when I feel bad after I'm feeling good, I'm like, not only am I feeling bad, but I'm also pissed that I'm feeling bad and I'm frustrated. and I'm like, I don't understand why this happened again. What's wrong with me? How can I, why, why can't I do this right? Why can't I just do this perfectly? Why can't this just be over for me? Luckily, it's happened <laughs> so many times at this point. I'm like, well, here we are again. All right, well, let's look at the list. What can you do?
0: Sarah's list when we talked included her support group, her friends, fiance, getting enough sleep, moving her body, being of service to others, and, of course, those pug videos. She also has something she tells herself about depression that she says helps.
1: It can't kill me unless I let it. So that's how I like to think of it, too. It's like, well, this feeling won't kill me. I cannot die from a feeling. The feeling will not come out in the middle of the night and smother me with a pillow or something, you know, or make me, you know, as long as I keep talking about it and keep doing the next right thing... I'm going to be fine. I'm already fine. I don't feel fine, but I am fine.
0: I'm fine. I don't feel fine, but I am fine. Since hearing Sarah say that, it is a phrase I have actually found helpful to repeat. I don't feel fine, but I am fine. The goal, of course, is to actually feel fine again, too. But before then, reminding ourselves we have been in depression's pit before can help remind us that we have also gotten out of it before. There are times for many of us, though, that getting out of it feels impossible. And when we get that, so does Sarah. And one warning she wants to issue is the role that hormones can play in depression. The hormonal changes can be naturally occurring, like puberty, menstruation, or menopause, or chemically induced, like gender transitions and birth control. Such was the trigger for Sarah
1: the worst suicidal ideations and the worst depression I ever felt. It was maybe my fourth year on a certain birth control. And I started it when I was 22. In July of 2014, I had this awful night where I really felt like I needed to kill myself. Never happened before that fast, like where it was just like a waterfall of depression and suicidal ideation to the point where I was looking up like, Suicidal prevention, like phrases on Tumblr, which I found a lot of Demi Lovato quotes, uh, kept me through, kept me okay. But it, my body was screaming at me to like throw myself in front of a train, just like, go walk until you fall to the ground. Just just crazy stuff. And this is just in the middle of the night, you know, it was awful. And I, I couldn't point to what happened because there's nothing circumstantially that was happening in my life where I felt okay, this is the reason, it's because I feel this way about this thing that happened. It was nothing, there's nothing going on. And it wasn't until my therapist and I were able to track it for a couple months about when did I start to feel this way? And it was when I was ovulating. um, And once I was off of it and I got on a non-hormonal birth control, I felt fine. I've never had an episode like that ever again.
0: So, Sarah ended talking about birth control and hormones and the role that she believes those played in her depression. I promise not to talk about my hormones much here, but uh, 13 and 53 were my worst ever depressions and those were hormonal times for me. So, I think that I have also had that very same experience and have also found myself warning people to just be aware of that possibility. A far more reliable source than just myself, since I speak only for myself, is Mayo Clinic. And I pulled up an article that they wrote, uh, Depression in Women, Understanding the Gender Gap. Now, of course, men also have hormones, so this information is not just limited to women. I'm going to quote extensively from this article. It starts, Some mood changes and depressed feelings occur with normal hormonal changes, but hormonal changes alone don't cause depression. And then the article lists several hormonal times, including puberty. Hormonal changes during puberty, it says, may increase some girls' risk of developing depression. After puberty, depression rates are higher in females than in males. Because girls typically reach puberty before boys do, they're more likely to develop depression at an earlier age than boys are. Under the heading premenstrual problems, it mentions premenstrual syndrome, or PMS, and says PMS may cross the line into postmenstrual dysphoric disorder, or PMDD, a type of depression that generally requires treatment. It's possible, it says, that cyclical changes in estrogen, progesterone, and other hormones can disrupt the function of brain chemicals, such as serotonin, that controls mood. Inherited traits, life experiences, and other factors also appear to play a role. Uh, the next heading is Pregnancy, and under that it says that dramatic hormonal changes occur during pregnancy and attempts to become pregnant. Another is Postpartum Depression that goes beyond baby blues and is a serious medical condition requiring prompt treatment. It occurs in 10-15% to 15% of women, according to the article, and it is thought to be associated with major hormonal fluctuations that influence mood in addition to other factors. The next heading is perimenopause and menopause, and the article, which we will link to, says the risk of depression may increase during the transition to menopause, a stage called perimenopause, when hormone levels may fluctuate erratically. Depression risk may also rise during early menopause or after menopause, both times when estrogen levels are significantly reduced. And then, of course, Life Circumstances and Culture is another heading that says that they also play a role, which I think most of us know. So hormones are just another factor to keep in mind as you try to navigate depression and something you might want to talk to your doctor or healthcare professional about if you have that opportunity. I'm going to just read how this article closes to close this episode. Although depression might seem overwhelming, there is effective treatment, even severe depression often can be successfully treated. Seek help if you have any signs and symptoms of depression, such as... I'm going to run through these real quickly. Ongoing feelings of sadness, guilt, or hopelessness. Loss of interest in things you once enjoyed. Significant changes in your sleep pattern, such as trouble falling asleep or staying asleep or sleeping too much. Fatigue or unexplained pain or other physical symptoms without an apparent cause. Problems concentrating or remembering things. Changes in appetite leading to significant weight loss or weight gain. Physical aches and pains and feelings as though life isn't worth living or having thoughts of suicide. Again, Mayo Clinic recommends turning to your primary care provider first if you have any of those symptoms or think you might need treatment. They suggest your family doctor, internist, nurse practitioner, OB, or gynecologist. If needed, it says your primary care provider can refer you to a mental health professional who specializes in diagnosing and treating depression. So that's how we're going to end today's episode. Thank you for listening. Anita should be back next week. And we will be heading into Suicide Prevention Awareness Month here in the U.S. So that will be our focus for September. Thanks for listening. We
1: truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression, or better understand
0: how to support someone else who is struggling. If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen.